It's March 8, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on Box Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with Noah Bernstein. Hi, Noah. Hi, Bornstein. Bornstein, yeah. thank you. <laughs> so Noah, how long have you been in the neighborhood? Uh, my husband, Eric Batchelor, and I moved here uh, December 1990. And we actually moved into the to the apartment on 99 Commercial Street, where we are now, in January 1991, because the place, the, at the last minute, we were all packed up, it wasn't ready, so we had to stay in another loft that wasn't quite ready. That's a tangent. What brought you to 91. that space? Okay, so uh, I am a visual artist, a sculptor and painter, and my husband is a custom woodworker, and we were at that time living in another part of Brooklyn, deeper into Brooklyn, and I had a nine by 12 foot studio. So actually we, which wasn't big enough, um, we spent four years looking for a place to live, and at that time we found it in the Village Voice. Um, it was described as artists live in lofts, so let, let's talk a little bit about how Greenpoint has uh, had, the environment has had an influence on your life. Well, I did bring, I took the liberty of bringing one of my very small pieces on a Greenpoint rock. I have several series of small sculptures on rocks that, I, that you would not think that there are actually rocks of all sizes here in Greenpoint on the street that have served as bases for sculptures for me. Um, we became involved very early on in GROW, Greenpoint Recycles Our Waste. And uh, many of us new tenants, we were not the original pioneers in the studio building, now called the Greenpoint Manufacturing and Design Center, right next to 99 Commercial Street. A number of us were the secondary pioneers in that building, and we people were dumping garbage near the Newtown Creek. There was no little park there at the time, just horrible, dumping animals. We'll get to the cats later. Dogs, there were abandoned dogs um, uh, that people took in and were obliged to do so. Um, and we were influenced by raw Williamsburg recycles. What, what did that stand for? That was the community-based and organized uh, recycling group in Williamsburg, um, RAW. And we created GROW with paperwork and everything. We had an account. And there was a small company, a man and a woman, who would pick it up from us. It was very specialized recycling, you know, certain kinds of glass, certain kinds of plastic, uh, and sold it in New Jersey. They made a living that way, going around to Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and probably other spots. Before the city took over in maybe the mid-90s, maybe it was 98, I don't quite remember, but that went on for several years, that a few of us monitored the sites, put out on the street, on Commercial Street, and I think we had another site near to the library that other neighbors monitored. 
and it was every Saturday morning, I think, and people would come with their recycling and put it in the right um, bag. And was there a lot of, were there a lot of neighbors involved in this? There were only a few of us who were the organizers, but many people came. It was it was yeah, supported it, in the it was successful yeah and and tell me about the creek since you lived proximal to Newtown Creek for so long yes um, I've been a little bit involved um, going on the boat a couple times with Riverkeeper and another um, group I'll have to get back to you with the name of it uh, testing the waters going all the way to the Newtown Creek uh, to the treatment plant. Um, and yeah, so I've been knowledge, somewhat knowledgeable about the water, and um, but not in any way expert at it. Well, you've lived on it for a really long, long time. Have you, yeah. have you noticed a real difference in the quality of, of, of the water of the waterfront of the creek? Um, there seems to always have been creatures swimming around in it, no matter what. I no longer see, uh, usually in the summer, people would come with their crab traps and throw them over, even though there were signs even back then, not healthy. Um, I don't see that anymore. Um, I'll have to see this summer if anyone's coming back to do that. Tell me about some of the, the, wa the other life that you've seen on the, on the waterfront. Well, the birds, the egrets, there were two swans, of course, not native. Laura Hoffman took photos of them. Um, all of the other birds, uh, I never memorized them. As you know, Emily um, Thompson, uh, Bradshaw, uh, did the five-year study of the native birds here, 50 different species. I represented her. Uh, including along Newtown Creek, but all along um, up to the Bushwick Inlet and, and past that on Kent Avenue. Um, so you have that material. The only one, and this will lead to the power plant that they wanted to put up, the only bird I really remember is the pie-billed grebe because that is an endangered species. And Emily had documented that bird at the Bushwick Inlet, right where the power plant was going to go. So based on her material and the Audubon Society's uh, corroboration, uh, at some of our meetings against the power plant going up, um, we, were, we were looking at the possibility of that bird actually prevent itself preventing the power plant. That would have been end of story. But what happened is it wasn't breeding there. It was discovered that it was not breeding there. It was just passing through. So that was not enough to um, stop the power plant at that time. And what kind of environmental issues have, have had an influence on your life or as far as uh, being off of a truck route? Has that, has that been something that has been difficult I have not been affected by the trucks. I know just a block away or on the corner on Manhattan Avenue, I have. Um, and the Newtown Creek itself, of course, used to stink. Uh, I was a guest 
uh, I was not part of the um, NICMIC uh, group, but I went to several of the meetings and uh, the oversight, the community's oversight, the group, the NICMIC group was very, very strong. Uh, and they were very wary of the expansion. But it did stop the smell. Yeah. Were you here at that time? I, in the early aughts, I was here. So I, I have experienced Greenpoint before the, the plant was renovated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is there was an incinerator. That's very early on. Um, and I was involved in small meetings. There was a small group, citizens, what was that? Um, Concerned citizens of Greenpoint? Yes, yes, yes. Um, because we were being told there, there was, by, by one group, there wasn't enough ash coming out of the, of the screenings. Uh, I forget exactly what you called them. Uh, to close, and um, and then I guess ultimately it was found that it was toxic. Well, what are you concerned about currently with in Greenpoint environmentally? Um, my concern, my main, my main um, environmental issue has been a tangential thing of, since 2005, having done trap, neuter, return for the cats. Um, they're fed. They're not eating the birds. I mean, it may happen once in a blue moon, a pigeon, really. Um, so that has been my focus, which, which actually is an environmental issue because um, there was a tremendous overpopulation of kittens being born outside, being ill. Uh, and in 2005, I found out about a group called the Neighborhood Cats. And my husband and I learned how to trap, and we got a few other volunteers, including Yoko, at, at, who owns Ashbox Cafe. And our first trapping was the mass trapping in 2005 of 30 cats. And out of those that we could tame, we did, indoors in a construction that uh, Eric made. And the others are return were returned. Now there's only five remaining. Out of those, only two were of the original colony. The others were dumped there, you know, uh, as that happens. <clears throat> but all in all, um, there's probably been about 140 cats from our block to the vicinity that we have made sure are spayed and vaccinated and many found homes. Um, and that's an environmental issue, I mean, to me. Um, before that, uh, there was a dog. There, were, there, were, there was a band of wild dogs down at the park. And there was one dog who was a junkyard dog. He was tame, but he befriended a female there. I actually wrote a story about this, two stories about it, for the small magazine um, Waterfront Week, a small publication. And I can give that to you at a later time, of this beautiful dog who eventually was hit by a truck. So in that way, 
I've noticed the trucks, but actually for me, I go from 99 Commercial Street to my studio or the wood shop right next door, and um, I'm now not out on the street during the day. So unfortunately, I think Clay Street, Clay Street, DuPont, um, small streets where the trucks have to pass through are much more affected than we are on Commercial Street. Was there anything else about the environment in Greenpoint that you'd like to share? Let's see. Zoning task force. You have the birds. And life in terms of the street life has changed in terms of more organic food here, um, more stores that sell it, the cafes. Looking at my notes. And there was another issue that I was, uh, that I actually spearheaded um, in 90, I think it was 92 or 93, my husband was mugged on the stairway on Ash Street coming home down the stairs on Pulaski Bridge, Ash Street. So I immediately, and then another neighbor from 99 Commercial Street had been hit on the head just before we moved here, but I knew about it. And um, I think her sense of smell and taste were affected. It was terrible, horrible. And another neighbor who was somewhat elderly at the time was beaten up on the walkway. So I formed an organization of which I was the president, Citizens for Safety on the Pulaski Bridge and Environment, Byrons. I contacted the police department, Assemblyman Lentall, and he facilitated a meeting along with um, with Nancy um, Nancy Farron. Um, we met with Assemblyman Lentall and bridge officials about the issue. At that time, bikes and people were walking on the same street. There weren't so many bikes at that time. It became a crisis, as you know, Dangerous. recently dangerous. Um, we knew that the bridge was going to be renovated and we did a little research, Nancy and I, and realized there needed to be better lighting, piggyback lighting they call it, uh, when they make the new lights for the bridge and on the stairway because what would happen is people were constantly breaking the one bulb and then it was completely dark on the Ash Street stairway up to the bridge and that happened repeatedly and there was a lot of drug dealing we could see by the vials and and actually the unpleasant result of taking drugs sometimes the evacuation of the bowels quickly yeah it was pretty awful so um i eventually they did, they did put the piggyback lighting. I'm not certain. I think they told us they might have done it anyway. But I know for certain we were responsible for getting an LED light that could not just be put out by a rock higher up 
and shedding better light on the, on the stairway. So that was, that was something I was involved in. And the police department kept, kept this organization on their roster for years, and they would call me every year, are you still the president, are you? The other thing that I caused to happen is this, the bridge said, the bridge people said, well, not many people use that stairway. This was back in 93. I think it was 93. It might have been the year before. I have all the records, but they're in boxes in storage. Um, I said, yes, there are many people. So they actually did have a guy standing there for a day with the ticker, and there were 300. Now, of course, it would be many more than that. So that was enough to convince them they needed to do something about the lighting. It was Department of Transportation? Yes, I guess so. Department of, it was the bridge section, but yeah, it must be the DOT, yeah. Anything else you want to share? Oh, let's see. I was on the Parks Committee with, with Laura, uh, the sub-zoning committee, and one of our duties in the rezoning task force, we tried to prevent these big, beautiful towers that you see here. Um, the other one didn't go up right next to 99 Commercial Street, 77 Commercial Street. Not yet. Not yet, not yet. Um, I have a relationship with that lot and with that developer. That developer and also GPL, who's one of the builders for this one, they donated money to us for the cat rescue, actually for the, the shelters, to improve the shelters a little bit, to get more sturdier. Um, for us and for our sister colony on um, India Street, uh, excuse me, on um, West Street, West Street and Freeman. Uh, and liaison for Clipper Equity, who was doing the 77 commercial, came to our apartment at 99 Commercial Street to explain to us tenants how they were going to take down the old feather factory uh, slash the, the, the watch, fa it became a watch factory. And they were good to their word. They took it, it was practically by hand. It didn't affect our building, 99 Commercial Street, because that was the danger. And they said it wouldn't affect the construction, but we, they were going to have to monitor that, our foundation, that it wouldn't affect our foundation. Um, uh, the liaison, Mark Moseson, was incredibly kind. He, he facilitated the $1,000 donation. Um, and when they didn't build it, he has he's since left, left the company. When they didn't build it, I realized that the progeny of the eastern cottonwood tree that had been cut down because of that development, its progeny had started sprouting in the empty lot. So I was allowed to go on the lot with one of the workers before we knew that they weren't going to build there and rescue two of the trees. It ended up being three trees. One turned out to be a mulberry, but the other ones were eastern cottonwood babies, and one of them is still on our deck awaiting transplantation somewhere. The other animals I shouldn't forget are the possums and the raccoons. 
and I've tried to contact um, a relocation, actually pest control, and they they like animals. So he was saying, if I trap a raccoon, I'm going to have to euthanize an adult raccoon. So just let them be. I haven't seen them in a while, but um, the possums are still there periodically. My husband and I had to rescue eight infants off of a mother who was killed, I guess, by a speeding car or truck on Commercial Street. They were in the pouch. Other neighbors had found it, brought it to our cat shelters where I found it, saw the babies jogging by. I thought, this is the last. So I called all the rescue groups I knew, and the ones who responded were Wild Bird Fund, believe it or not, and someone out in Long Island uh, who said if we couldn't do anything else, she would come get them, I think she said. But the Wild Bird Fund has, has lots of friends who deal with other animals. So right on the block on, in Manhattan, where we brought the babies, they um, gave the babies to uh, an, a possum rehabilitator for later transfer to the wild. Um, we looked online quickly what to do and we got um, little droppers that you feed infant kittens from Animal Planet and fed them that day till, till I found out we could bring them to Wild Bird Fund. So the possums don't interfere with the cats at all. They sort of ignore each other. I think there may be only two there now. They only live about two years. That's their lifespan, two to three years. Talking about the cat structure over on commercial, what's going to happen when they start developing that property? Because that's the next tower to go I up. I just put in a... You mean where the lightning truck factory mm -hmm. is? Yeah, it looks like, to me, this morning, it looked like they cleaned out the, um, the trucks were no longer there. I usually see a lot of trucks in the morning. So I emailed Peter Crocondolas, who is the liaison for the development for GPL, and I think it's Brookfield. Um, and he was confused about what, who owned what lot, I was a little surprised but I know and also I had put up I, I the, they just happened to be in the same folder as yours my signs I don't know if you've seen them against the wall yeah the no litter no uh, a company called Vary Direct I got them done at and he threw on several threw in several others at no charge and Peter had had two little ones, no dumping signs made. And I wanted to make a positive statement, you know, respect yourself, respect others. So if that fence is coming down and then all those trees, sadly, you know, I'll have to retrieve the signs. We, every step of the way, there's been a challenge about those shelters. Um, early on, I remember contacting, her last name is Houlihan, when 15 years ago they were going to start building, they hoped to start building. And we thought it was going to be where the MTA was, or where the lightning truck, we thought that was going to go first. Originally we were on what is now the MTA lot. 
and uh, Sandy, uh, a guy named Sandy who worked for the MTA, Santoro Lanuto, this again back in 2005, was feeding these feral cats, like 30-plus cats right in the MTA lot. Not the construction as it is now. It's wasn't, it was still dirt in that section. So originally we were allowed, because of him, to put the shelters, it was literally MTA property, but it wasn't in anyone's way, any of the, what they were doing. Um, I guess it was the emergency rescue site where he worked. Uh, he retired only a couple years ago, but before that happened they expanded they asphalted the lot, they put up new fencing, and we had to move the cat shelters off of that property. So that again involved contacting GPL, even though there was no development yet. Um, and the MTA guy supervising at that time, he actually helped us move the shelters. We had to actually flatten the earth, and he had some equipment that, that flattened it. Um, but before that, we had some shelters across the street we had to move. Um, I tried to get them placed in the empty, well, it's mostly empty now, right next to the lumber yard. Um, and that guy said he was very sympathetic, but it's not, wasn't owned by Stevens Lumber Supply, but um, there's going to be trucks moving in and out of there. So we just don't know what's going to happen, but we have the developer, um, GPL, who had contributed that money. We have Assemblyman Lentall working for us as an ally. And um, Mayor's Alliance was also uh, very helpful in early meetings with Peter. Early meetings online, you know, group emails. Uh, and lots of photos. Um, and we also let them know that the student from um, Dan Machalik's class was working on new designs. My husband also came up with a design, a design that would look like the human architecture. And um, that might be the next step we'll have to do. You know what I mean? If, if, it, if lightning is imminent, there's only five cats left. One now has become tame, so he's on our next, he's on our radar now for finding him a home. But we have two new rescues, one in our office, sho office shop and one at home um, who has leukemia. We have to keep him separate right now until he may clear it. We have to test him for a second time. So we can't take in the new one, the one that has become tame now. So, but he's on our radar, then that would leave only four out there. So we're getting down to, that's, that is the goal, that there's no more cats here on the street. Well, thank you for sharing your story with me. Thank you for asking, and I'm going to put a shout out to Jeanette Lee, Wei Jian Lee, who saw the flyer at the library and alerted me. And thank you, Akashia. Do you pronounce it Acacia? Acacia. 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 Beautiful and name. And how do you pronounce your last name again? Bornstein. Bornstein. And it's Noah without an H. Mm. 